0: I would invite you to take your Bibles if you brought one this morning, otherwise the words will come up, and turn them to the passage that called me to Sailorville Church, Acts chapter 16, Acts chapter 16, as we continue in our introduction to the book of Philippians, The Joyful Life. It's true, it was in 1998 that I was in a place where I just knew that God Uh, was moving me away from the church I'd pastored for 12 years, having lost my first wife, having been remarried, having the sense that we needed to be together somewhere as a family, as a unit. And uh, But just didn't know, I, I just knew I needed to resign the church. I sensed that at least. I just wanted that confirmation from God and virtually begged him that morning in my devotion times to show me what his will was. I was in Acts 16. I can literally remember saying, God, I know this story. I know the story of the Philippian jailer. I know what happens here. There's nothing here that's really resonated with me. And I read through the story and I finally came to the very end after the jailer was saved, after he was baptized after his house was rejoicing. The magistrates of the city show up, and it tells us in uh, verse 36, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. And right in that moment, I sensed that God was my magistrate, and he was giving me my walking papers to leave. I walked upstairs, and I said, Honey, I said, I really believe God just... Told us it's time for us to leave and she looked at me and she said well he didn't tell me so that's that was a bit of a conflict there for a while (laughs) we got through that and two days later I got a phone call from Sailorville Church and here I am 20 years later now whether or not you're familiar with the drama of Acts chapter 16 there's a lot here for us to see and be challenged by the context is church planting And our four church planters in the engaged Network would tell you there's no shortage of drama when you're breaking new ground and resistance and all that goes along with it because church planting is not for the faint of heart. It's not for those who just romanticize the whole thing and see it as sort of an adventure. On the other hand, since we're about ready to start another one, you're going to hear a lot of it in the next couple of months. The historical introduction of the book of Philippians Could have, watch this, life changing implications for some of you, maybe many. So if that doesn't perk up your ears, let it. Let's look at the drama where we left off last week after the salvation of Lydia, and now verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, there met us a slave girl who had a spirit of divination, literally a python spirit, a snake god from Greek mythology, and she was effective. It brought her owners gain by fortune-telling. That's the only time this word is ever used. It basically carries the idea of false prophesying, but apparently it was working. She followed Paul and cried, uh, uh, crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation, which is what? That's a true statement. And this she kept doing for many days, Paul having become greatly annoyed because there's only so much of that you can take turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of the Lord Jesus to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews. They are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful to us as Romans to accept our practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them, gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into the prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. And so, being a faithful jailer, he received the order, put them into the inner prison, fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. So the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword. He was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had escaped, which was what you would be doing if you were a jailer because it was your responsibility to keep the prisoners. And you might as well off yourself before somebody offs your head. But Paul cried out with a mega, that's the Greek word, a loud voice. Don't harm yourself, we're all here. And the jailer called for lights, rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house and he took them the same hour of the night, washed their wounds, baptized. he, he was baptized at once. He and his fam, all his family, he brought them up into the house, set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Now, there are some fascinating and, and thought-provoking questions that we're not going to be able to address that come out of this passage. For instance... For all the drama of Acts chapter 16 and the beginning of the church at Philippi, why, when you read Philippians, do you never, ever hear one of these individuals who got saved at the beginning mentioned? None of them are mentioned. Not the jailer, not Lydia, not the slave girl. One reason might be because between the planting of the church at Philippi and the writing of Philippians, about 10 years minimum, Last week, after church here on Sunday, I got a text from our very own Tyler Betts, who's been on staff here for a number of years. He's now a missionary appointee. He sent me this picture. This is a picture of Tyler with with this man's name is Don Ford. And Don wanted this picture sent to me because 27 years ago last Sunday, I led Don Ford to Christ. He's still going forward, living for Jesus. I tell you that because in 27 years, he's like the last of the Mohicans left over there. It's not like there's a whole bunch of them. Times change, people move, people die, things happen. But when we get to Philippians, none of these individuals here are mentioned. Here's another question. Why did Paul assert his rights as a Roman citizen only after being beaten and not before? We didn't read the rest, but if we'd have kept on reading at the end of it all, you know, Paul does assert his rights as a Roman citizen. He makes the magistrates literally lead him out of town. But he doesn't do that beforehand. Why does he not assert his rights as a citizen? The answer to that question has evangelistic implications. So think about that. And by the way, where's Luke and Timothy? I mean, this is the second missionary journey. It's Paul and Silas. There's no mention of Luke and Timothy. Are they out to Starbucks? I mean, they're not there. It's strange. I don't I don't have the answer to it. They're not there. And what about those household baptisms? Isn't this the final proof to all of our friends out there who baptize babies? This is the, I mean, household, I mean, there must have been a baby in that house. Not so fast, you pedo baptism friends of ours. <laughs> you read verse 33 and 34, they had to hear the word of God. They responded as a house. It's ridiculous to assume the ellipsis that is that, uh, you know, there's, it's an argument from silence that there's babies around here, but we don't have time for all that. Paul and company are forging ahead, they're on the move, the Spirit of God is moving, we saw that last week, he's directing, he's redirecting, until they come, You get the vision of Macedonia, they come there, they come to Philippi, they plant the flag of Christianity in the Western world for the very first time, that's what we're in. That's what we're involved in right here. Lydia's heart is open. She responds to Paul. Beautiful. Another church is about to be planted. But let's make no mistake. If you're going to be involved in church planning, if you're going to be involved as as if we're going to be involved as a church going forward, and if you as an individual are going to move and forge ahead in your walk with God, it's war. It's, it's This isn't a playground. It's a battleground. Everything about it is. And Paul tells us this repeatedly in Scripture. This text really brings it out. In fact, in this text, we're going to find out that where there's a door, there's a demon. Where there's a mission, there's a mob. Where there's worship, there's wonder. And where there's repentance, there's regeneration. All of this, when it comes to planting a church... In Philippi. So, in our fight, and let's make no mistake, that's what it is in our fight to expand the kingdom of God through gospel outreach, know that where there's a door, there's a demon. We see that. So, as soon as Lydia gets saved, boom, this demon possessed slave girl who has this python spirit, this snake god spirit in her, begins to just harass Paul by ironically saying true things. And, while, and and so, so Lydia's heart's been open. The door to Philippi is there, but as often is the case, the gospel awakens not just dead human spirits, but slumbering demon spirits. This python spirit in this woman. To her clients, she was a spirit snake, but to her masters, she was a cash cow. She's making them a lot of money. And again, the irony of this is that is what she is saying is true which should really give us pause when you listen to false teachers that are out there today i mean even the demons in jesus's day knew who he was there's not a liberal demon in the bible you're the holy one of god yeah that's right shut your mouth the demons knew who jesus was and when they, wherever there's a door there's a demon Many times, I can personally confess many times and all of us who have been on the front line of evangelistic ministry have sensed evil in our presence when we're trying to reach somebody with the gospel because we're busting new ground. We're caving in those gates, as Jesus talked about. I once, several years ago in this very church, had a woman that approached me. She was arrogant, she was boastful, she was loud, and she was speaking some truth But I sensed I wasn't just talking to a woman. I was was confronting, and that's what I did, evil. And what you do when you are confronted with evil in your gospel outreach is you take them on the way Jesus took on Satan. You take them on with truth. James said, submit to God, resist the devil with truth, and he'll what? He'll take a hike. Now, most commentators think that this woman, after Paul casts the demon out of her, is, becomes a Christian. I'm inclined to agree. Now, think about it. The first two members of the Philippian church are, are women, a businesswoman who's, you know, not even there probably except on weekends, and a slave girl. What a great start. As someone has said, sometimes the best man for the job is a woman. Such is the case here. Where there's a door, there's a what? There's a demon. Paul told us this in Ephesians 6. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but principalities, powers, hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand those fiery darts and whatnot. Paul said to the Thessalonians, I wanted to come to you once and again, except Satan has, uh, the word means to cut into, he's hindered me. Where there's a door, there's a demon. Where there's a mission, there's a mob. So, in other words, the resistance we received as we, as we go forward as a church, as a church, uh, uh, planting churches, are we as individuals, uh, the resistance that we're going to get is not just invisible, it's visible. It's both. Mobs usually don't operate on truth, civility, or even good information I mean it looks like deja vu when you come to chapter 19 of Acts you don't need to go there but in Acts 19 verse 32 same thing is happening in Ephesus this mob is going they're going crazy and it tells us in chapter 19 verse 32 that most of the crowd was there and they didn't even know why they were there which by the way you can go to any mob scene around the world to this day and you'll find about 90 percent of them have no clue they're just whipped up into a frenzy and that's what's happening here, because you got to whip them into a frenzy. It probably didn't do good for the slave girl's master to go, you know, we had this gal, she was possessed by a demon, now she's in her right mind. Let's have a, let's have a mob. That doesn't work well. And you'll notice they never make that appeal. They make the appeal on the basis of the city's Romanness and that these are Jews. That's what they do here. Philippi was a very proud Roman city. It was settled by Roman retired Roman soldiers, and so that's why these masters of this formerly demon-possessed slave girl make their appeal. These gospel-toting Jews have threatened their ways. It wasn't true, but that's how you whip up a crowd. And the scene gets really bad. I mean, verses 23 through 24. I mean, we just read through it, but this had to be terrifying. Imagine a mob coming up on you, ripping your clothes off, and then beating you to a pulp. That's exactly what happened to Paul and Silas. Horrifying. And all around our world today, especially in that 1040 window, the mission of the gospel continues to whip up satanic opposition and mobs, preaching lies bombing churches, imprisoning and murdering pastors and intimidating Christ followers. And I know it's not, that's not very practical in our peace-breathing culture that's caught up in everything else but Jesus, but churchy. And while Christianity has been marginalized by the media and politicians and every God-hater that's out there, The fact that our freedom that we have does not whip up opposition might be more telling evidence than anything about our lack of fervency. And whether it's a mob or family or a group of friends, if you forge ahead, you will feel the resistance. Paul said, everyone who lives godly in Christ Jesus shall what? What? suffer persecution. And here's the Apostle Paul. He was writing to the Corinthians from Ephesus. He said, I'm going to stick around here because I'm telling you what, a wide open door has been presented to me and there are many adversaries. You see that? Where there's a door, there's a demon. Where there's opportunity, there's opposition. Every time. When it's real. And not contrived. So Here's this situation, count on it, where there's a mission, there's a mob, and the mob, again, we just don't relate to that in our culture, but the, there'll be external resistance as well as internal, visible as well as invisible. Here's the third thing I want you to note. Where there's worship, there's wonder. Now, th- we got a zealous jailer here, probably involved in the whole thing. Philippi wasn't that big of a town. He probably is involved with the whole thing. He's, I mean, he's, he's been involved, he's a, he's a faithful, he's probably a former soldier, which is what jailers often were. He's taken these guys, probably a part of the beating, he's stuck them into the recesses of the prison. And there they are, beaten, bloodied, in stocks, unbelievably awkward, darkness, dampness, and what are they doing? Are they planning their escape? Are they debating some legal appeal? No, they're worshiping. Look at that. Praying and singing hymnas to God. Hymns, praises to God. Worshiping. This is important when we get into Philippians because, you know, our theme is the joyful life, and that's one of the three major themes, joy 16 times over and over again, just sort of permeating the epistle. And when you read that, it's not, just remember, this isn't some theological or theoretical concept of Paul, rather. Not some intellectual platitudinous thought. This was real to Paul. This was factual to Paul. This was experiential to Paul. And so when Paul says in chapter 4, verse 11, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. You know he's learned. It's real to him. And where there's worship, there's wonder. There's the wonder of the listeners. Did you catch that in verse 25? The prisoners were listening. Anybody listening to you? And what are they hearing? About five years ago, we had a our our family thread. I'm talking about the adult family thread, texting thread. There were 17 on it in those days. It's over 20 now. People just keep getting married. Anyway, and this is the information line, you know, for big things that are happening, family events, births and pregnancies and all this. And, well, you know, we got a lot of people. One of them got a new telephone number didn't tell everybody right away. So somebody else got the number and listened in for six months. Six months. And they finally called and apologized because we put out uh, an announcement that somebody had a baby and they thought, oh man, somebody's not getting this information. We're sorry. They said, we're sorry. I mean, we just We didn't think there was any harm or anything because it was just we just loved reading all those Bible verses you guys were sharing with each other. But when we found out there was a baby, we probably better say something. (laughs) So they got all that information for half a year. Who's listening to you? What are they hearing? And is there any wonder? And what they're experiencing? Where there's worship, there's wonder, not just amongst the listeners, but then you got the nat- you got the earthquake, the supernatural thing, and it's a supernatural earthquake. If you'll know, it's not a normal earthquake because it just affects the prison, not the town or the area. The prison doors are open. Now you can see that happening in an earthquake, but the chain's falling off? All right, this is kind of weird. So what, what's the dealer? By the way, <laughs> uh, check this out. The prisoners don't run out. The jailer runs in. Normally in an earthquake, everybody runs the streets, right? We like to say at Easter time, the stone wasn't rolled away to let Jesus out, the stone was rolled away to let you and me in. Similarly, the earthquake wasn't to let Paul out, but to let the jailer in. And it all all of this all of this wonder was preceded by worship, which is so counterintuitive to our minds. Just a couple days after my wife died, a very dear brother sent me a passage from the Old Testament where the godly King Jehoshaphat was up against this enormous uh, army that he could never defeat on his own. In fact, Jehoshaphat cries out to God and says, Lord, uh, we have no power against this army. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. It's a beautiful passage. And so... He calls for a fast. He rallies the, the army, this little tiny army up against this humongous army up against them. And notice what the Chronicle tells us. Here's, here's how he puts it in Second Chronicles. Hear me, Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you'll succeed. And when he has taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were, watch this, who were to grab the catapults and the flame throwing darts and spears. He appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire. And as they went before the army and say, Give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against them, their enemies, so that they were routed. Where there's worship, there's wonder. And as I said, it's, it may be counterintuitive to you. Some of you, I just heard somebody just, just recently lost their job. I have another friend who, who just lost his job. And you're just, you're just looking at this giant mountain, this impenetrable fortress, and things are not going well. Some of you are struggling physically. Some of you have marital issues in your life. You're just as down, down, down as you could be. And it might not make sense to you, but if you are a follower of God, worship Him. Lift up your hearts to God and thank Him for His great salvation. And that eternity is going to be a lot better than the now. And the worship will become wonder. And finally, where there's repentance, there's regeneration. This is, again, the earthquake happens, the jailer runs in. I mean, this is the guy who just beat them to a pulp with the rest of the mob, threw them into the inner recesses with no mercy. Now he comes in. He's trembling. He's on his knees. And he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's the greatest question you'll find in the entire Bible, right there. Greatest question in the Bible. What must I do to be saved? By the way, where did he get that? Now, I know what you're thinking, because I thought that too. Well, he heard it, you know, while Paul and Silas were singing Jesus Loves Me hymns. I don't think so, because if you read the text more carefully, it doesn't say that the jailer was listening. It says the prisoners were listening. The jailer would have been closely connected the house probably to the prison, but I don't think he heard what they were singing. You want to know where I thought he got it? Where I I think he got it? I think he got it from that demon-possessed woman. Do you remember what she was saying in verse 17? These are the servants of the Most High God who, who are telling you the way of salvation. True or false? True statement. Now, of course, the demon and the woman was intending to mock the gospel, annoying the the evangelistic party. But I think what Satan intended for evil, God meant for good and turned the whole thing around. When he said, what must I do to be saved? He uses a root of the same word that the demon woman used. And that's just the way God works. How cool is that? And so when he comes... He says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And from the greatest question comes the greatest answer. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, which is what some of you need to do right now. Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I didn't, hear, see, I didn't read the word repent. Are you kidding me? This is a jailer that was persecuting Paul. Now he's praising Jesus. He gets baptized. He has a meal for them. Are you kidding? This is a changed life, a totally changed life. And when he asked Paul, what must I do to be saved? What does Paul say? Well, you need to become a better husband for, for, for one. And while you're at a better jail, this, isn't, this has not been good accommodations back here in the inner part. We told him what he needed to, needed to hear. Our our, our high schoolers uh, attempted this last week to reenact something that took place like thirty some years ago when I was a student in Bible college with Dave Leonard. That's our pastor Jared Leonard's great grandfather sat right there in a pew, and they tried to reenact something that took place. It was an amazing statement or an amazing thing happened. My understanding is it didn't go so well wasn't a very good reenactment. And I'll come back to that one another time. But uh, I had another experience with Dave Leonard. And it was outside of a grocery store. Now, Dave Leonard was a tall guy, like Leonard's are. And he was like 120 then. I mean, he's really old. And uh, when he would talk to you, he never looked at you until he had to. But you were supposed to look at him, though. So I meet, and he, he says, Nemers, I want to talk to you. I said, okay. And so he starts talking. I'm here. He's looking this way. I'll tell you what, Numbers. I was in a mission one day, preaching the gospel. You don't dare preach anything else in a mission. And they went on with this story. I can't remember what the story was, but I'll never forget that parenthetical line. You don't dare preach anything else. You don't tell people in a mission, you need to be a better husband. You need to be a better father. You need to get your finances in order. You know what you tell them in a mission? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. Amen? Because where there's repentance, there is regeneration. This man is completely changed. And Paul has completed his evangelistic trifecta in Philippi, and this becomes the core group of the church plant. A Jewish businesswoman, a slave, and a Gentile jailer. Did you catch that? A Jewish woman, a slave and a Gentile jailer. The Apostle Paul was a Pharisee for many years. And every single day, he prayed this prayer. God, I thank you that I'm not a Gentile, slave, or woman. The very core that made up the church at Philippi. Behold, the church at Philippi. Where there's a door, there's a demon. Don't romanticize gospel outreach. This is serious business. Are you willing to ask God to open up doors in your life and to face the evil that might accommodate it? Where there's a mission, there's a mob. The resistance you receive will not simply be invisible. It will be visible. Are you, willing, are you willing to be a part of that? Where there's worship, there's wonder. As counterintuitive as it may be, are you willing to lift up your hearts to God and praise Him no matter what's happening in your life for great things to happen? And where there's repentance... There's regeneration. That's my greatest concern. That is where my heart's burden for you. I'm burdened for you kids here today. I'm burdened for some of you who've been coming to church for 50 years and you've never repented. Your hearts have never been changed. Your life has no evidence of gospel truth. And when you die, you're going to go to hell unless you repent of your sin. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and then, and then, and then you'll be saved. God, thank you for the background of the church at Philippi. Thank you for these misfits of individuals that we would never pick out in our humanness. A businesswoman, a demon formerly possessed slave, and a Gentile jailer. Amazing to produce a church that the Apostle Paul loved perhaps more than any of the others. God, this should encourage us no matter what kind of a background we may have to be used of you. And as we venture on, as we forge ahead, we acknowledge God, we're going to meet resistance, visible and invisible. And we, Lord, are committed to worship you regardless of circumstances. And to realize, Lord, that where there is true repentance, there is regeneration and possibly even revival. I pray for people in this room today, God, who aren't saved, religious but lost, believing something but not on the Lord Jesus because he changes hearts and lives my friend if that's you would you just right now repent that just means turn to god tell him you're sorry for your sins believe that christ died for you personally receive him into your life for salvation and be changed and god i pray that there would be many in this room who would say god these are big days here at Sailorville church i want to be a part of the future both here and perhaps elsewhere and our desire to forge ahead in gospel outreach. We pray all these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.